There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Matthew Shoykat and Ricky Gerwitz. We talk about their new film, The Accountant of Auschwitz. This is, this is one of those documentaries that uh, well, I think everyone needs to watch more documentaries, and you probably know that by now if you've been listening to Face to Face for a little while. But this is one of those that everybody needs to see. There's so much going on here, way more going on than meets the eye. This is a film, uh, it's one of those films that's about a little bit about everything. And we, we, we get into, of course, World War II and, 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 uh, and Nazism and ideology and the banality of evil. We talk about, you know, being a small cog in a very big machine. We talk about forgiveness and the a moral versus a legal distinction about uh, about being convicted and about guilt and 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 about responsibility and 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 what what complicity actually means and what does it mean to us today and 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 Matthew and and Ricky tell this story in 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 such a beautiful and a compelling way that you come away I think with with some answers. Uh, but you are also left with a lot of questions about about what's next. Uh, you know, is is this going to happen again? Can we talk about legal precedents for the future? What does it mean to to be indifferent and and to turn a blind eye? What is it? What 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 is and hate? as a powerful weapon we see, we look into the social media uh that is all you know at our fingertips or we turn on the news and and we can see that hate truly is a powerful weapon um stay tuned uh, you are going to love this interview uh, it's coming right up uh, don't forget uh, davidpecklive.com for more information about uh, my speaking and, and writing and also face to face live.ca for a whole lot of other interviews, and, and we've got a lot of uh, interviews uh, recently from Hot Docs this year and a lot of documentaries that you're going to want to get out and see. But coming up right now, Matthew Shoykat, Ricky Gerwitz, uh, talking about their new film, The Accountant of Auschwitz. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by uh, two very special guests here, two Hot Docs guests here with us uh, today. Matthew uh, Shoykat and Ricky Gerwitz here to talk about their new film, The Accountant of Auschwitz. Uh, thanks for joining me today. 
Thanks for Great having to us. be here. Yeah, so so tell 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 me a little bit about uh, maybe the, the 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 buzz that you're feeling as we uh, as you guys are about to launch into into hot talks. You starting to feel a little bit of that energy? Well, we're definitely very excited. Firstly, because you know we're both local. We're from Toronto, so to have it premiere at any festival in Toronto would be exciting. Let alone the Hot Docs International Documentary Film Festival, which is like the biggest in North America, second biggest of its kind in the world. So it's like really exciting. And yeah, the three screenings that we have, they went rush very quickly. So a lot of people bought tickets and are very excited for the film. So we're definitely very excited. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, let me let me let me say congratulations right out of the gate because I have seen the film and 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 as I just mentioned to you before we, before we plunged into the recording uh, of our conversation, I, I I I've seen a lot of doc film in the last four or five years, in the last twenty five years, I suppose, but but specifically with regard to face to face, and I I took a, just a slew of notes. I just didn't know. I just didn't know where to stop. It was just so. Uh, engaging and, and 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 interesting and 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 um, yeah and and frankly disturbing. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that's what we were going. That's for, right. <laughs> a whole lot. Well, I'll tell you what though. Let, let's dive right in with a question. I mean, it sure doesn't feel like a disturbing movie. If you were to close your eyes and just listen to the soundtrack as as the establishing shots are sort of appearing on the screen, you know, and some of the some of the the quotes about what we're about to dive into, just make it feel as if, it, it, almost like a circus feel. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it, why we wanted to choose those lines. It's because, you know, um, for the, for obviously for people who haven't, who haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's shocking to hear about Auschwitz said it's talked about in this way. And um, we thought it was important to show that if you weren't Jewish, Auschwitz wasn't a death camp. Right. And and that you can actually have a positive experience there, which is quite shocking. Yeah, a sports club, uh, canteen. Oh, you're referring to the, the opening sequence. Yeah, yeah, the opening yeah. sequence. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's almost absurd. Yeah. Knowing Quotes from, from the accountant recalling the good times. You know, as an SS officer or an SS guard who worked in Auschwitz-Birkenau, he's kind of recalling you know the friends he he made there, and the, there was drinking, and there was a cinema. You know, so it's not it's the complete opposite of what you would have been taught in school or seen in sure, film. Sure, sure, yeah. The, the, and the juxtaposition of some of the some of the images. I, th- I mean, the one that stands out in my mind right now is the shot of the chef. You know, yeah. kind of all, all with, you just we we just don't typically. Uh, I mean, talk about the banality of evil, right? I mean, it just it just presents it in a whole new way. And really, that's the point of the film is, you know, Hannah Arendt, she, which you, you just um, referenced with um, the banality of evil, right? That was her thing. Yes. And of course, that was completely criticized when she first came out saying that after the Eichmann trial. Um, and and she, she was talking in reference to Adolf Eichmann, who was, who was the mastermind of the final solution of the Holocaust. And he was put on trial, and she said that he was really, he was like a normal human being. Mm. He did bad things, right? And of course, it's horrified people because the idea that this person was normal was not was not acceptable. Um, and our film is about this man who, he wasn't the architect of the Holocaust. 
he was a very small cog in a very big killing machine. But he helped to make it run. Mm. And yeah. it was the groaning. It was the Oscar groanings of Germany that allowed the Holocaust to happen. Not the few top people like Adolf Eichmann who gave the orders. It was the cogs who ran the machine. At some point, at some point, at some point in the film, uh, I forget who it was, but talk, talked about the, the 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 guards, and I think it was Eli, the one of the lawyers, who had this great great analogy about somebody yep. running around in his room with a knife, and if there was somebody standing outside holding the door, they would be, you know, c- c- probably convicted of 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 murder, a first degree murder, yeah. you know, in the U.S. Where whereas you've got this hundreds of thousands of people who who were largely complicit. And 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 you guys are pretty much saying ultimately also responsible, are you not? Well, in a in a certain sense, we're saying yeah. that every everyone has everyone a share of the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, like um, the quote you're referring to is from Eli Rosenbaum, who worked at the Department of Justice, the Office of Special Investigations in um, in Washington. You know, he he's actually one of the biggest quote-unquote Nazi hunters, but he doesn't get a lot of, like, fame for right. the amazing work that he's done. Right. But, you know, you have these, you have the big killers and the people who organized the Holocaust and, and all the atrocities in the Second World War, who a lot of them escaped into South America, into other countries, and they lived in hiding. Then you have all these people, like what Ricky was just speaking about, these small cogs that made it happen, hundreds of thousands of them who just went back to their lives. The chef at Auschwitz the accountant at Auschwitz, you know, the one who's cleaning the floors of the gas chambers after the bodies are taken out. Like, mm. They went back to their old jobs, and there was just so much injustice after the war, which is a very interesting and shocking part of the film, we find, and we definitely think the audience will find as well, when you really learn these staggering numbers that from like 800,000 right. SS officers yeah. at the end of the war, only 124 ever received a life sentence. Yeah, what was it, 100,000 investigated and then 6,200 uh, 6, were trial. on trial. And yeah. 124 convicted. I mean, this is it's outrageous. There was another another lawyer you, you interview at some point, uh, uh, is it Dershowitz? And he talks about Groening being a symbol. And he said yeah. that the, the real issue is what happened after the war. And what happened after the war, he says, was disgraceful. Because remember, all these people we're talking about now, these hundred thousand, they're not hiding. Right. You know, right. When I start to talk, well, sometimes when we tell people about the film, they're like, oh, how did, she, how did they catch him? Where was, he, where was the accountant hiding? Right. He wasn't hiding. Right. They, they, were never, they would never have been seen as being complicit because they never really went after guards. There was a whole change in the legal thinking of Germany just under 10 years ago with the, the John Demianuk trial. Where before that, you had to have specific evidence that someone had had either the will, the political will to right. kill someone, or the 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 you know they they were driven by racial means, or you know it, there's so many reasons why people didn't get they weren't on trial at that time and they lived their normal lives. They lived right. happy lives. And one of the things that just to build on that point, I mean, it's. Germany, in a sense, was put in a very um, abnormal, uh, abnormal position after the war. Mm, what do you yeah. do when so many of your countrymen participate in a uh, crime, such a, a crime on such a large scale, right? 
um, on, in a war crime. And do you prosecute 800,000 right. men? Do you send 800,000 men to, to prison in a country already ravaged by war, who've lost so much of their population to fighting in that war? Um, so, so where do you draw the line? Right. And for, for various political reasons, Germany decided to draw the line at the higher-ups, the very higher-ups. And even those very higher-ups only got um, pitiful sentences. Well, Three years, five years, seven years for that, killing ninety thousand people. And 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 help me out here. Mm-hmm. Wasn't wasn't there a, a another uh, uh, comment about twenty two people because there was twenty two seats? I mean, that was Nuremberg, yeah. was yeah. it not? Yeah. So that was Benjamin Ferenc, who's an amazing, amazing man. Incredible. Oh, he's, he's so great. He's ninety eight years old. <laughs> he, he's the kind of guy you just kind of want to reach in and give him a hug or or shake his yeah. hand. Well, that's or, exactly how Ricky and I felt when we went to his. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Florida. He's he's amazing. And it, so he was he was one of the first, if not the first, uh, war crimes investigator, right, from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so he he fought against the. He has an amazing story, which deserves a movie in of itself. Right, he, bet he does. The first time he ever stepped foot in a courtroom was in Nuremberg. He was a wow. recent graduate of Harvard Law. He went to fight the war. He was at 27 years 27. old, and he found these secret documents of the wow. Eisenhower Serpent who killed 1.1 million people. And he said, you have to prosecute them. And they said, well, we have no one to prosecute. Will you do it? And he said, okay. <laughs> so he, sits and he, he, he goes you know, into a courtroom facing 22 of the worst murderers that have ever, you know, committed atrocities, and he, you know, puts them on trial. It's an amazing, amazing um, thing. But at the same time, it was very interesting what he says, which is that there were 3,000 of these men who killed 1.1 million people, and he could only put 22 people on trial because that's how many seats were in the dock, which means that 2,000, you know, 900 and whatever it was, but my math is terrible, but they all those other men who killed 1.1 million people were never prosecuted. Be, be, These are like, remember, this is the Einsatzgruppen. These are the death battalions. These yeah, aren't, yeah. this is an Oscar groaning, right, counting right. some suitcase, stuff taken from suitcases. These are people who are going into the town. So this is before they established Treblinka, Sobibor, all these death camps. They're going into the towns. And they're executing anyone who's Jewish. They're taking it. These are the stories you hear, like the film Defiance with Daniel Craig. You know, going into the forest, they're just shooting right. everyone in the head right. in mass pits. That's how over a million people were killed. And then they they did gas chambers and stuff like that because it was too expensive. Bullet-wise, it was messing with the soldiers' heads. But each of these people, each of these 3,000 men, were shooting men, women, children, one shot at, at a time into pits. So these thousands of other people who weren't included in the 22 seats in the dock, they went back to their lives as well. Yeah, right. no, it's, it's remarkable. I'd, I'd never heard that 22 number before. That is for oh, sure. Dude, we, we felt the same way when he said that. Ricky and I were like, is that a joke? Like, yeah, exactly. Really? Did that's I, the did reason? I, did I hear him right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about this movie is that, you know, there's been a lot of movies about the Holocaust. Yeah. And... This movie, we were interested in making it because there was so much we learned that we we thought we knew and we really didn't, and we learned so much and 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 especially about after the war. You know, this film is not a film about the Holocaust; it's about how oh, Germany yeah. and the world yeah. prosecuted the criminals that were involved. 
Well, I love, and I love that I love that you said that, Ricky, because it, it, it seems to me that any great film or any great doc is is obviously it's about what you're seeing on screen. It's about the content. It's about the subject. But it usually dives way deeper than that. And this is a film about responsibility and choice and complicity and evil. And I mean, it's just I mean, I love too the way you bring Peter Singer into it. You know, are you are you still punishing the the man who did the crime in the, the first great place? Club. What a great question, right? What an important question. Right. And it's yet, chilling. It's chilling to it, think about it. it. But it, maybe it, it's true, you know. Like that's one of the things that when Ricky came to me with the idea, she was saying, "There's just so many challenging questions. Like I don't know what to do. I don't know mm -hmm. what to think." Every day, I'm going back and forth on how I think of, about these issues and about Oscar Groney and, and himself. You know, it's fascinating to me that that it's it's as if he. I mean, was do, do you do you get the sense after having studied this and researched it and filmed this film? Do you get the sense that this was his way uh, of of seeking some kind of absolution? I mean, he he seems to ask for forgiveness, or in fact, I think he does ask for forgiveness, or at least you show in the film. Um, doesn't do a jail sentence, but is convicted. Um, was is is that is he coming to terms with that? I mean, he's one of the first guys to have it admitted, right? That 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 he speaks they, in the courtroom. That, that's like, right. Never ever happens. But that's remember, right. the reason not the main reason, but one of the reasons why he was put under the spotlight after the whole um, legal thinking change and the precedent with John Demjanjuk in 2010, Oscar Groening, five years before, in 2005, willingly gave an interview for the BBC in Der Spiegel magazine in Germany. And, you know, he was just a guard. Uh, we were not put on trial, and, and he spoke about the things that he saw. And also in the 1980s, he was at a stamp, stamp collection club, and People were denying the Holocaust, and he, he said, I was there, I saw the gas chambers, I saw the burning pits, and he wrote letters to um, Holocaust denier printings, and so he, that can be seen as a form of some sort of redemption. Mm. Was right. he doing that personally? Was he doing that to show the world? Like, there's, there's many ways I guess we'll never really know. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It also brings up another philosophical point, which is, or question rather, which is Groening's good deed, in a sense, standing up to Holocaust deniers, yeah. making this all known so that, you know, they can't view their hateful rhetoric. Does his good deed later in life absolve him of the bad deed he was complicit in in 1944? Right. How do we, how do we square that circle? How do we, how do we understand those two things? by side and um you know i can i think a case could be made for both yeah i think so too and i think it's really int i love too how and so important that you brought the question of forgiveness into the film and and eva's um story and yeah. and and the what a, what an image of her embracing yeah. uh, i mean it's just it's again it's chilling i mean there's so many so, so many actually quite quite a few chilling moments in the film for me I mean, and remarkable too that you were able to interview rudolf Haas. is that his name his grandson rainer Ryan, Reiner. yeah, Reiner Hess. Yeah. Is it Hush, great? Hush, it's pronounced. Hush. Is, and is that a great-grandson? That's his grandson. Grandson. And so he even says, I can't forgive, but if Eva has to, in order to, to move on, okay, I'm okay yeah. with it. Which one of the lawyers said as well, like, she's a victim just like any other survivor. Yeah. yeah. She was a Mangala twin. She's been tortured. Her whole family was wiped out. So obviously she has the right, right. to forgive if it does something for her, but the question is, was that the proper place to do it? Right. You know, she went there as a witness testifying against him. 
and then she announces that I forgive you. She was doing it for herself. She wasn't doing it on behalf of survivors, but the way some how it erupted into the media, right. people were kind of questioning, like, well, what was her motive? And do, do they think that now all the survivors forgive all the Nazis? And these were kind of the headlines sure. that were coming out of the trial, not the fact that he's actually spoken about what he's seen in Auschwitz. It's more about he's been forgiven by a Jewish survivor. So that was very interesting. Well, which yeah. we definitely wanted to bring into the film for well, sure. Well, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on forgiveness too. I mean, and after after seeing the images you've seen, and and you must have gone pretty deep. Uh, in, I mean, uh, into the story and and the stuff that you didn't show us, right? And, mm-hmm. and and Ricky, what you said about how much you've learned. I mean, do you walk away from this going, "We're all screwed," <laughs> or or you know what? No, there there is redemption. There, people can reconcile. People can forgive. Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting. I. It's a great oh question. God. You know, I, 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 like I said, one of the reasons I originally wanted to do this film was because I really couldn't, couldn't pick a one way. Which I couldn't pick a side. Right. Uh, if that's the best way to describe it. Right. I really, one day I thought, oh my god, he's totally complicit. The next day I thought, no, he's changed. He's a changed man, and you know, he was just one of eight hundred thousand. Like how many, you know. So he's the last one left alive, and we're going to convict him because everyone else dies. You know, like it—it seemed absurd to me. Yep. Um, but the more I did this film, um, the more into it I got, and and the more footage I saw of the camp and of Auschwitz, um, I'm more leaning towards the fact that he is guilty. Right. Um, right. and the reason for that is because, um, you just if you stepped foot in that camp, you knew what was going on. It wasn't, oh, I was on the ramp, and therefore, you know, I saw them being selected. If you stepped foot anywhere near that vicinity, you could smell the stench of death. Mm, you could yeah. see the bodies lying everywhere. And if you see that and don't do anything, you're complicit. And in my mind, just because everyone else died off and just because the law didn't catch up with the rest of them doesn't mean that he shouldn't be punished. Right. And the other thing is, I think it's important for us to use that way of thinking for how we view war crimes Mm. that are currently being taken, they're currently taking place. Because, again, we are saying if if you're there and you know what's happening, you're complicit. And how often in this world today do we see war crimes taking place and we know. I mean, we have the Internet. We have TV now. We yeah. know what's happening in Syria. And we are doing nothing. So yeah. I, my hope is that this verdict and this trial and this film, for that matter, will help us understand our own complicity and responsibility in um in war crimes that are taking place in the modern time. Well, and at near the end of the film, um, again, is it another lawyer, I think, who says that this whole idea of the, the, the phrase, never again, right? I mean, this is... Yeah, that's Ephraim Zaroff. He's the head of the Simon yeah. Stahl Center. Uh, d- d- doesn't he say completely meaningless? Yeah. He said again and again and again, these atrocities keep happening. And maybe it can send a powerful message, because unfortunately it, it keeps happening. And as Ricky said with the internet and like everything that we're exposed to in 2018 and then the most that people do in terms of people I know is like, they'll change their Facebook profile picture to like a tinted flag of the country where like a hundred people were just murdered. 
well, this or, is or a, Syria, where half a yeah, million people yeah. have been murdered in the last five years. And we you know? and we call we call that public engagement. Yes. Right. If I if I forward that, a picture of a candle. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, then, yeah. and then I tweet it and I retweet it and then I and then I like it that I'm I'm yeah. now engaged. But that's like from the audience perspective of people watching war crimes happen. And then, but what Dershowitz also says in that same section is this can hopefully deter others. You know, if even at the end of your life, justice will catch up with you. You know, some people might agree with that. Right. Some people might not. Like, it's not in the film, but we have, when we were interviewing Peter Singer, he said, I, I really wonder if it would really deter someone. Mm. You know, well, if I'm going to live till 95, what do I care? But... Maybe not. You know, so there's so many questions what, about the whole film. There, there really is, and and uh, I, I, something I'd love to talk about in a second, if 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 you're if you're in, is is this moral legal uh, distinction that that even Oscar brings up at the the end? You you uh, put into the film this idea that I'm I'm morally guilty, but but I'll leave it up to you to decide whether or not yeah. I'm legally guilty. Such a strange thing to say. It, it, it's pretty strange. Yeah. 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 So clearly he's convicted about something, uh, but, but maybe just still self-protective on a, on a whole other level. I'm, I'm not yeah. really quite sure what, what it all means, but this idea, this ideological, you bring it out right out of the gate, this idea that, you know, we've got a canteen and a cinema and this is just life for us. And mm -hmm. we knew this, w I mean, you know, the, the, what's his, he talked about that, um, we were, we were the direct, I'm not, I'm not going to get the, the direct quote, but we were convinced by our worldview that, that, that everyone was out to get us, that the Jews were out to get us. Yeah. And so if you're Pretty raised, close. yeah, if you're raised this way, and, and I mean, there are well, parallels to what's going on everywhere pretty much in the world today, right? Right. And um, that's something we wanted to get the audience to ask for them, mm -hmm. um, to ask is what would I have done? Right. Yeah. You know, had we all been growing up in a nationalist socialist house with a, you know, joining Hitler youth and being brainwashed at a young age, like this is all we know. At what point are you in? Do you have the free thought and independent thought enough to say no? And the strength to do that in a country where everyone is following, you know, right. one way of thought. Right. So, it, is it expecting too much from him? And again, we can see that around the world. I mean, when you look at, um, you know, people who are engaged in radical terror and ISIS, right? And from a young age, they're brought up in extremist households. And later on, they commit crimes. Are, yeah. you know how 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 responsible are they? It's being ingrained in children's minds when they're at that age when everything will affect right. the person that they become. Like if you look at the way that children are ed educated under Hamas, it's like it's scary, and and ISIS. You know, so there's all these parallels that you can use, which is one of the reasons why, you know, Holocaust education, I think it's so important because it can relate to so many things that are happening now and not just now with anything that's happened after 1945. There's so many atrocities and how can we prevent it? And, you know, but then what Dershowitz says is even if you're brainwashed, you have to, something needs to click in your mind when you see a baby being smashed or you, be, exactly. you see someone being shot in the head, you must know, like, that's obviously not right. But who knows, you know, if they really thought that they were the cause of the of World War One and all the problems and 
this was war and it had to be done. Like there's all these types of quotes that we explore throughout the film. So I, there's a, there's a great line in the film, uh, and I don't know who it is that said it, but somebody said, hate, hate is a powerful weapon. And I'm just reminded of, of Elie Wiesel's quote about, you know, the opposite of, of, of hate is, uh, or love is not hate, it's indifference. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wonder, you know, that complicity, the responsibility and choice. I mean, is, is, the, is that whole idea of turning a blind eye and, and saying, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I'm, I'm indifferent to it, so I'm just going to walk the other way. I mean, is that, do you come out of this film thinking that's the big problem? That's the root of all evil? Isn't there a great line? I mean, this isn't from our film. This is a very famous line. Um, the way for bad people to do bad things is for uh, indifferent people to do nothing, mm. right? And or, I mean, I'm definitely messing it up, but it's, it's something along those lines. And again, I think that comes down to the question of how we view complicit, how complicit and responsibility and where we draw the line, right? I mean, the people in Auschwitz, obviously, we believe that they had some responsibility, but, you know, the people in Germany who weren't killing anyone, but, I mean, they did see Jews being taken yep. off trains and by police That's and right. saw their, their possessions being carted off. And, I mean, are they complicit? When, you know, when where do you draw the line? And um, how, if, I mean, there has to be a point. A whole country can't be in in jail. It can't go on. The the uh, and, and and yeah, just to sort of riff off of that a little bit, the the de- the deniers too that you bring into the you guys bring in yeah. so much and you do it so beautifully, by the way. But the sure. the the Holocaust deniers, the the interview where I don't know uh, older woman and and a police officer, I th- Ursula Haberbeck. Yeah, and, and the and the Nazi police officer. That's her name in the media. Sorry, what's her name? Not the Nazi. They, they've labeled her the Nazi grandmother. You know how in Germany it's, <laughs> it's illegal, it's against the law, to the Holocaust deny, and you can go to jail, which I find very interesting in terms of freedom of speech, but that's another story. Well, that's it's just remarkable to, to me how the, the, the police officer actually shut the conversation down, shut the yes. interview down. Yeah. And it now she, she was on trial a few months ago, and she's actually, I'm not sure if she's in jail now, but she was found guilty because of a, because of what she was doing at Groening's trial and one of these other trials that we mentioned wow. that have happened because of his trial, she goes there, she hands out papers, full denying like the Holocaust, and she's very famous. And I think she's supposed to be found guilty. She's supposed to be in jail. I think she's eighty nine or ninety wow. years old. Wow. So is it, you know, you guys talk a lot about, I mean, you can't watch this film and not think about the future. Uh, any of my listeners will know, I, uh, and I'd love to chat with you guys offline about this at some point, but I've, got a, I've been working in Cambodia since about 2003, and, and, and the Khmer Rouge and the, and the trials are still going on, and, and the atrocities that were committed there. And I mean, that's, you know, and you got Rwanda and, and, and so on. As you, you, you can't watch this film and not think about the future. Um, you know, is, ha, have, the, have the precedents been set? You know, I mean, you talk about it in the film. Some of the lawyers that you, you, you interview certainly bring it up. We talk about this idea of never again and, and learning from our past. Oh, I, I've got this quote I have to read uh, um, that was just, without, quote, without history, there is no memory. Without memory, there is no yeah. future. I mean, it's just so beautiful and so perfect. Yeah. So are you guys hopeful? There's a lot, there's a lot in that, but are you hopeful? It's a tough question. Is, is, sure. Yeah, exactly. Where, where are we headed? Yeah, it's like you, you get hopeful, and then all of a sudden you hear something horrible has happened, and someone's driving over people with their van. Yeah, and this and again, 
mm-hmm. no matter what the motive is. Like you're just surrounded by all these horrible things that happen, school shootings or terrorist attacks or, or war, you know, it's just, it's crazy and it's hard to stay determined. But when Ricky and I were interviewing Benjamin Ferenz, you know, the 98 year old, he's the only, the last surviving prosecutor for Nuremberg. He's very hopeful. And he says, we're always going up. Mm, and then we come, nice. we spiral down a bit, something bad happens, and then we go a bit higher and we come back down, but always going a bit higher in terms of we're going to make a difference, we're going to get there. Right. You know, he helped establish the International Criminal Court. He's very optimistic, even though there's so much evil and horrible things that still happen in the world. He does feel that we're ultimately heading in hopefully a positive direction, which, you know, which is nice to to feel. So I... So, so I, I have a bit of a different take. I think that I don't, I don't believe that the trial of Oscar Groening will prevent a mm. war criminal in, yeah. in Sierra Leone, uh, you know, a, a, a child soldier from committing an act of, of um, killing. Do I, I don't yeah. believe that. Um, I think if anything, they'll say, well, they this guy's 94 years old. I have the rest of my life. No one, no one cares about me. Right, right. Um, but um, I do think that his trial can serve to do several other things. One is which teach valuable history lesson to yeah. kids today who might not be as interested uh, in World War II and the Holocaust as their parents and grandparents were, and it kind of brings it into a more modern um, perspective. And the other thing is, um, I think that people, ordinary people, I'm not talking about the child soldiers or the war criminals or ISIS. I'm talking about the everyday, normal human being who sees what goes on, perhaps they will ask themselves, well, am I complicit? And if I am, what can I do? What can I do? And I hope that that is the kind of message that this film, uh, you know, passes on to its viewers. That's what I love. I love about the, the there's this, this this strong existential sort of component to the whole film, um, you know, because it really is about choice, right? That whole idea of indifference and turning the other way and and responsibility, and it's all tied into becoming a better human, but also becoming, I, I guess, more authentic and, and, and more uh, more truthful, more transparent. I suppose. I mean, it's just uh, it, it it's so so many of these things that you guys you guys touch on in the film. I just I just so love. Can we talk about uh, just before? Sadly, we're going to have to wrap up here in a, in, a, in a few minutes. But one one of the the men who 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 you dedicate the film to, I think at the end, Bill, um, who Bill Gleed. yeah, Bill Gleed. He, there's a scene, and I think it's just a, maybe a perfect way to kind of wrap up the conversation. But Ricky, you had mentioned you learned so much, and I was I wanted to say when you had talked about that, and and, and as you guys were. Mm-hmm making this film I just the power of story right the power of individual story I mean this is one of the reasons why I love film uh, why I love fiction but 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 doc film it it takes on a whole uh, other sort of uh, a life of its own it seems to me this idea of narrative and history and story in the future and so on but when he was flipping through and I don't even know what it is but it looked like one big massive book of names so that um, it just of Say. Yeah, I was just going to say this: the, the 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 power of that, you know, yeah. as you would the, the the tiny the font, the print, the the magnitude, all at yeah. once, you know, uh, and and again, the power of the individual. Yeah. So 
that's actually in Auschwitz One. There are three sections of Auschwitz. There's Auschwitz One, which has the famous sign when you walk in, work will make you free, Arbeit macht frei. And then there's Auschwitz Two, Birkenau. The trains would come in where where we kind of focus in the film because that's where the main gas chambers and crematory were. And then there was another one called Monolith. And you know, it's it's all basically there, but there's certain blocks that they've turned into museums. So you go into one and there's like the pile of hair and glasses right, right. and prosthetics. And then this is a new part of the museum that was found was funded by Yad Vashem. Basically a massive book. There's four million names in that book wow. of people that they've wow. confirmed that they know were murdered. Four million people from the Holocaust. And we were filming with Bill. We were there for two days in Auschwitz and Auschwitz-Birkenau, and we went into this room. He had never been there before, hmm. and we we follow him as he finds goes to the G section. He's from Yugoslavia, and his father was his mother, I think, was Hungarian, but it was a part of the Hungarian Empire. And he finds pages and pages of glyphs. Hmm. You know, we filmed him for longer than you see in the film, sure. but he, he found so many other people. But he found there's there's my mom, there's my sister, yeah. there's my dad. And and it, I think one of the reasons that scene is so powerful is because oftentimes we talk about the Holocaust in broad numbers, you know, 6 yes. million, 1.1 million, right. 900,000. This scene, you're actually seeing individual names and how many there are. And just think of that one page mm-hmm. and that that's yep. a tiny fraction of the people who are killed. So it really kind of puts it into perspective. Yeah, it true. It truly is, uh, truly is uh, mind boggling. Um, Thank you uh, for for joining me today. Uh, talking with uh, Matthew Schoikat and Ricky Gerwitz about their new film, The Accountant of Auschwitz. I, I, uh, yeah, and again, congratulations on on the film, and I I, I wish you well at at, at Hot Dogs. I hope everyone sees it. It's it's uh, it's a brilliant film. It's an important. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, really, really appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.